Welcome to Care Talk, America's home for incisive debate about healthcare business and policy. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the CEO of CareCentrics. Who do we have today, David? John, we have a special guest, as they're all special, but this one isn't particularly special. Randy Klein, he is the CEO of Avesta, and he is going to be talking to us about how they support caregivers in caring for the frail elderly, among others. Welcome, Randy. Thank you. Glad to be here. John, listen, we've both been uh, caregivers uh, for elderly people. We're getting into the category ourselves where caregiver may be needed for us as the elderly patient at some point. Uh, but let's hear about somebody who, you know, I'm really interested in reading up about Vesta and understanding about really the, the frail elderly, which seems to be the, the focus. And I guess my first question, Randy, to ask a reasonable question is, you know, what are some of the current issues in care for the frail elderly population? When it comes to the frail elderly population, there are a ton of issues that are out there. Um, multiple chronic conditions, access to care, uh, health literacy, complicated Medicaid regimens. When you start talking about the population that we're focused on, which are people with chronic conditions and functional limitations, uh, what you see is that that combination leads to substantially higher cost and lower quality uh, results than you would have for a population that doesn't have functional limitation. Um, this is where what we're focused on, which is uh, enabling caregivers to to create better outcomes for the folks that they care for is, is really focused. You know, one of the interesting things, David, is that the fastest growing population in America is the over 80s. I mean, we have a, you know, tens of thousands of people turning Medicare eligible every day. We've got this boomlet of baby boomers turning 65, but actually the fastest growing population of the elderly who are all on government care or largely and who we will all be paying for um, is actually in the older, the, the, the even even older groups, you know, the over 70s, over 75s, and over 80s. And it is not a population that we as, we as an American society are really well set up to care for because we've so quickly moved from sort of a family structure where most people live near their aging parents and not every spouse works to one where almost all spouses are working uh, and people are dispersed. And yet there's this very fast growing part of the population. So the, the frail elderly are increasingly going to be one of the larger communities accessing healthcare and costing us a lot of money going forward. Well, John, I have a little challenge for that. And I want to ask Randy about it, because on the one hand, the society's not set up for it. On the other hand, we have the, a lot of people are eligible for multiple programs, right? You have Medicare based on age, you have Medicaid based on income. I think family members can even be paid as caregivers. And it seems like there's so much going on. So I, I don't understand what the problem is. Yeah, so you you can have too much of of, of a good thing and confusion that results from it. Um, I I would venture to say most people that are out there, uh, even listening to this podcast, don't fully understand the interplay between Medicare and Medicaid and and don't fully understand what a caregiver can do, what a a personal care aid aid is, what a a privately paid for aid is, and, and all these different categories there. And as a result, you end up with all sorts of gaps and overlaps. Without a doubt, there's tons of coverage. That's the exciting part. As John just mentioned, most uh, very senior individuals will end up as dual eligibles, either because they've always been there or because they spend down to it. Um, so the vast majority of us, if we're lucky enough, are going to end up on both Medicare and Medicaid. That being said, actually accessing that care, having those folks from the uh, physical health side of the world, your doctors and hospitals and nurses, working with those that are, are dealing with your functional side of your health, your long-term care, home care, uh, community-based needs. That's a pretty big bridge to span, um, and, and there's lots of reasons why it's difficult to do it. Randy, tell us a little bit about 
exactly what VEST is and who you currently serve? We believe that that caregivers, and there's you know 40 to 45 million caregivers out there, you know, uh, two million plus paid home care aides are the largest untapped, most powerful resource in the delivery system that there is. However, for a lot of reasons, um, they haven't been accessed and leveraged in, in the way that they should be. So what we do is, is we empower those caregivers uh, and, and enable them to create uh, world-class care outcomes at home. We do this through a combination of, of our technology and services. What our technology does is it protocolizes uh, an approach to both monitoring and intervening in, in events when they occur. So understanding both the client and the caregiver and what it takes for them to be safe at home. And then pairing that with a purpose-built clinical team that provides real-time guidance, telehealth, and intervention uh, to support those caregivers. Um, caregivers, and, and we've all been them here, are the folks that have the greatest insights about what's happening in the home. I'll give you one quick stat. Uh, for somebody that has home care, they typically will have 150, this is from CMS, 150, 160 encounters with their home care provider in the course of a year, which compares massively to any other provider that's out there. The problem is that home care aid doesn't even have an MPI. So um, they know more about that patient than anybody else. And, and we listen to them, guide them, and help them. What is this MPI thing? Yeah. So uh, I went sort of, uh, sort of jargony there. They don't, they're not technically a provider. So as, as we said a moment ago, we've all been caregivers here. Um, unless I'm, I'm misinformed, none of us are actually practicing uh, as clinicians. So our ability to access medical records, to put information in, to, to diagnose, to treat, really to do anything other than just simply say, mom doesn't look good today. Something's going on and I don't like it. Um, she's not eating as normal. She, she's had a fall. What the heck should I do? Um, we're really, really good at that and really, really bad at getting to somebody that actually can help and guide us. So as a result, what we tend to do, and uh, this bears itself out in the data as well, is we tend to call 911. So when somebody has, you know, this comes from Commonwealth Fund, when somebody has three or more chronic conditions, they have a high cost. When they have functional limitations, uh, meaning, meaning um, you know, needing assistance with activity of daily living and, and other, such, uh, other such activities, their costs skyrocket, go up about 70%. Their likelihood of having an adverse event goes up about three, three and a half times. Uh, the reason for that is that now you have somebody else, you have a new variable in, and that variable is somebody who is a human that sees what's going on, gets scared and wants to help. Just sort of kind of contextualizing it, um, you know, we've got a system that, that you know, a hundred years ago relied on families that were were local and in, in, in usually an aging relative would be cared for by um, one of the older female spouses, um, often the oldest daughter. Um, but we've got a system right now that is still relying on, in many cases, the oldest daughter. If you look at the AARP, AARP data around aging research, but often that daughter is, is, is working full time is raising and responsible for their kids, their kids, and their and they're often their 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 uh, their households' healthcare. Um, and we've set up a, a professionalized, paid for system through healthcare, and they're disconnected. And I think what's exciting about what you're trying to do is connecting them. And obviously, as CareCentrics, we're super focused on leveraging 
that kind of a bridge to make sure that more people can get care in the home. Because the thing that, that I think most people don't realize is one of the fastest growing risks, mortality risks, is a visit to the hospital. So we can avoid visiting the healthcare system by either, either through 911 or just by because you're lonely or hungry or you think that's the only way to access the system is to go to a, go to a hospital. Um, we can actually, I think, lower all-cause mortality for the aging elderly people. And that's that's what's interesting, but that bridge needs to be built. And so what is Vesta actually doing to build that bridge between the caregiver who is who is is connected to supporting the when you say functional needs, really the activity it's the activities of daily living and that that we're talking about. What what does Vesta actually do to kind of make that work? Yeah, so we we've created a, a two sided approach here where we work both with, with payers, uh, plans as well as, as, as original Medicare, and providers, uh, meaning home care agencies and, and caregivers, to, to bridge between the two sides. And what we do is we uh, identify folks that have needs. This can be from you know, either side of them. Bring them into our, our system where we provide them with a setting of care provider that we call a home carist. So if you think about you know healthcare, there's there's different providers out there. There's primary care, uh, which focuses on on community and wellness. There's hospitalists, which focus on internal medicine in the hospital. There's sniffists, which focus on internal medicine and in skilled nursing facilities. We are a setting of care provider that oversees care in the home for folks that have long-term home-based care needs. We then provide the uh, the the care recipient and their caregivers with a technology that links them back to the home care. But technology, when you, again, Randy, sorry to interrupt, but technology is like, I mean, you're talking about telephone, you're talking about like uh, activity monitoring, you're talking about implantable chips. I mean, David's really into implantable chips, by the way. Hey, John, okay, let's, let's you know, listen, a, a hammer is a tool too, John. You know, so I'd like what you pointed out before, John, about the, uh, the trip to a, the hospital is itself very dangerous. Uh, I like how they talked about improving outcomes, reducing costs, but also increasing time at home. And I thought that was a really good positive uh, measure and so how, how somebody would look at it. But John, the thing is that in the past, you had great, you had very caring people, but it was really just palliative care. And when I hear about technology, what I'm hearing now is that the, the home care provider, can they can still do the palliative care and perhaps better than anybody else. But they can also be connected through technology to the parts of the healthcare system that you do want to access. So you can actually do treatment, you can do monitoring and have more of an impact. So I think despite the fact you're trying to beat, you know, beat Randy over the head with your technology, uh, I think that's what he's trying to get at. But I'll let him defend himself. But don't you think he should explain himself as opposed to you trying to explain himself? I'm kind of embarrassed by you, David. So, so, so we're working on the Vesta Cybernetics Division. That'll be coming out soon enough. But in, in, in the meantime... Um, we're using pretty standard uh, stuff in the home. Medical alerts devices like help I've fallen and I can't get up, connected blood pressure monitors, um, an application that goes on to you know, caregivers' phones that allows them to, to trigger real-time interventions around a workflow tool that our clinicians use to protocolize these approaches. So one of the big differences for somebody that's working with, with Vesta versus being out there in, in, in the wild when you're working with Vesta as a caregiver, Vesta knows who you are. They know who your client is or your patient or loved one, whoever it is. 
uh, and they know what you're supposed to do to help that person be safe. They can make sense of the signal that you're seeing and then guide you as to how to resolve it. And if you can't resolve it uh, with stuff that's already been planned for, help you go through a planful approach to uh, avoid those unnecessary events. Hey, John, Randy sounds like you saying all this stuff about being at home, et cetera, et cetera. Now, now I understand why you brought him on. Well, I mean, come on. Wouldn't you prefer to – I mean, you're getting kind of up there in years, David. I think you know, we, most of us would rather keep you at home, uh, if he, and all of us would prefer to avoid the hospital. It's like work from home. I, I thought I thought that WFH stood for work work from hospital. <laughs> I think you know what's Randy. Maybe talk. Maybe you could share a little bit about you know you and you and I if share a long friendship. Talk a little bit about what your what brought you to this particular job and 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 uh, maybe some personal experiences that that illuminate why you think Vesta works. Uh, when I think about my own life, there's there's a couple of points where. I can see sort of a pre and post. Uh, I was one of the caregivers for my grandmother. My grandmother passed away a couple of years ago at 102. She had an amazing life. Um, she also had many issues of, of frailty there at the end. My mom and I were basically constantly on, and, and I think everybody can relate to this. We managed through texts and contacting her, you know, privately paid for aid and talking to her doctor. At one point, I actually had to hop on a plane and uh, fly up to Rochester, New York, where she lived to get in front of her physician that wanted to cut open a 90-something-year-old woman and perform abdominal surgery on her. I'm like, there must be a better way here. Um, just a absolutely crazy experience. And when when I when I joined here, one of the first things that I did was actually speak to her aide, a woman by the name of Gloria, about what we were doing. Her aide was, uh, and, and we weren't in a position to support her directly at that point in time, but her aide was was thrilled. She was like, this is great. This is a team that will listen to me. They'll help me. You know, it's very hard for me to get the attention that I need to help take care of your grandmother. Uh, then we had replacement aides that would flow through. Uh, and, and that's when I had a pretty good sense that we were on to something. Fast forward to this past summer, and uh, uh, one, of, one of my family members um, donated a kidney to another one of my family members. So we admitted both of them to Vesta. And... Um, you know, part of that is because one of the challenges we had was getting attention from both the the primary care and the transplant folks about what to do for the donor, right? And what to do when when you got home. When when we got through the uh, the, the donation process, when we got them onto Vesta, one of the things that my team did was connected with the transplant folks, connected with the primary care folks, got access to Epic, got to understand all of what we would need in order to to get this person home safe, and um, uh, really took a huge burden off of, of me and the others around us because we knew that we were going to be overwhelmed. Well, fast forward, the surgery was success. Discharge happened two days later. It's it's Friday at eight o'clock p.m., and the donor gets a cough. Not a great situation, right? What are you going to do? So we contact the on call, as you might expect, and and what the on call says is hold on, we're going to get somebody back to you shortly. Uh, in the meantime, I press the button on my caregiver app and I get to our clinical team. Our clinical team immediately says, hey, let us do a consult. So they do a consult and this is, you know, telehealth 101, nothing particularly special there. But then what they do that's different is one, they know me. Two, they have access to all of, uh, all of the donor's information and they are able to determine they need a physician level person to do a 
uh, an evaluation of what to do. There's certain drugs that can and can't be taken. So we get to a VESTA medical director. The VESTA medical director looks at the record and concludes that this can probably be treated with an over-the-counter cough medicine. We do the over-the-counter, and an hour later, uh, the donor is, is fast asleep, feeling well. I don't hear back from on-call until the next morning. That was a case where, as a caregiver, I got incredible service and an outcome, even with somebody that's not core to uh, you know, our, our target set. We're not trying to do transplants today. It, it gives a sense of, of the ability to support a caregiver to, to make things happen. That's, that's a pretty edge case for what we do. What would happen? I mean, obviously, it's your company. You're proud of that. Walk me through what happens if someone's not there, if you don't have anyone... Yeah, if you if you don't if you don't if you don't have access to Vesta or Vesta like services. So that was my use case before. That was my use case with my grandmother. That was me texting with a home care aide, trying to reach her primary care after hours, literally having to fly up to get the attention of a physician, you know, constantly being in in a range of, of catch up because I wasn't in a place to uh, you know, impact or or affect what was happening. Um, I, I happen to believe that most caregivers, and I, I think that this is probably a pretty universal experience. If you were uh, dealing with the situation that I was with with the transplant, you would have called the on call. You wouldn't have heard back from the on call. You would have called the on call again, and you would have taken them into the ED because you're really scared. You would have gotten the recording that says, "If this is an emergency, as if you're qualified to assess that." please to go directly to the emergency room because that's what's on everybody's recording even before someone picks yeah. up. At 10 o'clock on a Friday night where the person is in pain and you're not quite sure what to do, you betcha, you're going right in. And um, instead, you know, the person in my life took some over the counter and got to have a good night's sleep. Randy, that's a great uh, story. And thinking about, especially during the pandemic, how challenging it's been to be a caregiver or to be somebody who's sort of ancillary to that. And I think the service is probably even more valuable uh, than just thinking about my own uh, my own experience. John, should we wrap it up, or do you want to beat Randy over the head one more time? Well, no, I, I I think I think the only thing I'd say is that I I I think that there's an emerging market for what CareCentrics does, what Vesta does. Um, the ability to build those technology and human bridges, and it's got to be both. It's got to be include clinical, it's got to include people, and it's got to leverage technology to 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 create what I think is going to be a much more civilized and healthy and happy aging at home, which is kind of what every everyone wants. I mean, there's there's uh, you know 70, 80 percent of people would prefer to age and die at home, and only twenty percent of the people really get the chance to do that. We we waste. A trillions of dollars in, in excess medical care and costs, not just in healthcare costs, but in residential costs that are unnecessary if we can continue to roll out uh, these 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 new pathways. And, and I think leveraging technology is brilliant, Randy. That's as you know, I'm a big fan of that. And uh, just excited to have you on the on the show and 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 share some of what you've been able to accomplish. John, I think we have a, a subtitle for the show anyway, which is going to be called Preaching to the Converted. But in any case, that's it for yet another edition of Care Talk. I'm, I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll with CEO of CareCentrics. If you like what you heard or you didn't, please subscribe.